Well, good morning. Hope uh, everybody enjoyed the uh, change of weather this morning as you were finding your way in. Uh, maybe some of you were surprised when you walked outside and had to go back in and grab a sweater, but we're uh, glad you're with us for the first Sunday of October. We're continuing a series that we began last week called Making Change. And the concept behind Making Change is uh, really rather simple, and that is just uh, we all believe that money changes our life, don't we? Don't you believe that? Don't you think that um, a sudden influx of a lot more money would have a profound impact on your life? And yes, may it be so, right? But don't you also, maybe you've had this experience where a sudden departure of a significant amount of money can have a change on your life as well. So much of the way we live our lives, the way we interact, uh, comes back to um, the issue of money and wealth. And it's not just about our relations, although that's a big part of it. Do you know the latest statistic says over half the divorces that happen in America happen because of money. Money changes things. And all those divorces uh, didn't take place just because the family had a negative change in their bank balance. Some of them happened because they got more money and they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know what to do with the money. It changed their circumstance. It changed their marriage. It affected them negatively. And so what we're looking at over the course of the next few weeks is, is really the impact that money can have to change things. But more importantly, how the Bible says so much about money and material possessions that it's trying to teach us something that if we believe, if we can have an attitude change ourselves, if we change the way we think about money, what we feel about money, it'll change the way we act with money. And that change can make a real difference, not just in our life and in our family, but possibly even in our community and uh, in our world. Um, we started this little jar, not a little jar, it's a big jar, this uh, change for change. So uh, we've challenged everybody over the, over the next few weeks up and through Thanksgiving to just not spend any of your change. And so I've collected some change here this week. I'm going to put it in. I've got some more that I saved for the other service. We are demonstrating in a simple way how little changes that we make collectively can make big change for somebody else. So I, some of you have asked me this week, well, what does that mean? Like I, I had a $5 bill and I, I got $2.73 change back. Does the whole $2.73 go in? I'm like, that's between you and the Lord. I, seriously, there's no rules about this. Just however you feel. If it's changed from a dollar, that's fine. If it's changed from a five or a ten, whatever you want to do. Uh, but we're trying to demonstrate in a real way how change can make a difference in our lives as it comes to our money. We're looking at one particular text. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open with us to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in these three verses uh, for the next few weeks. But we're going to look at this from the perspective of some other things that are also, that's also taught in the Bible. This particular passage of scripture gives us some great instructions. And, and we, as we started reading it last week, we only got through the first five words. And here's what the first five words say. say Command those who are rich in this present world. And we pretty much stopped right there because uh, we, we understand that all of us, most of us, don't believe we're rich. That, that the first change we have to make in our attitude about money is a change from poor to rich. From, from not believing the lie that says we're poor because we don't have as much as somebody else who has more extra than we have, and believing what the Bible actually says about us, which is that we are rich. Do you know that more than half the world lives on less than $2 a day? 
And, and according to statistics, if you have $2,200 in assets, you are among the richest people on the planet. Now, that means if you drive a clunker that's only worth $2,000, $2,500, you're among the richest people on the planet. If that's the only asset you had, you'd be among the richest per- people on the planet. It's, trem- it's, it's, it's amazing how in our culture, though, we're always enticed to believe that we're poor. We're always tried to, people are always trying to convince us that until we make a certain level, a certain amount of money, that we haven't made it to rich. But the failure to believe we're rich keeps us chasing wealth and we'll never, that we'll never acknowledge that we have. It's like the carrot at the end of the stick. And the result of this is greed. This leads to greed and arrogance. See, nobody believes they're rich, just like nobody believes they're greedy. You don't see that in the mirror. If I were to ask all of you, anybody in here, if you've got a problem, if you, if you struggle with greed, raise your hand. Nobody would raise their hand. Oh, look, we got one honest person in the whole room. Nobody believes they're greedy. And yet, and yet, because we don't believe we're rich, in fact, what we're doing is feeding something inside of us that results in greed. So change number two that I want to talk about this week is a change from greed to generosity. From greed to generosity. So let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Beginning in verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 17. Because I think if we want to avoid the consequences or the natural results of living in such a wealthy culture, this passage gives us a couple things that we should avoid and a few things that we should pursue. So let's see if we can fish these out of here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant... Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So two things that this passage tells us to avoid, arrogance and misplaced hope. Avoid arrogance and misplaced hope. And you think, well, how, I, I'm not arrogant. And, and yet we find so many times that the more wealth we amass, the more security we think we have, there is just a tinge of arrogance in the way we live our life. That we've got the resources to provide for what we need, to provide the security that we need, and there comes just a little bit of arrogance. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And misplaced hope. It doesn't say that you shouldn't have hope. The issue is where you place your hope. So those are two things to avoid. The two things to pursue that, that this passage tells us in verse 18 is hope in God. That's where our hope should be. Good deeds and generosity. So we avoid arrogance and misplaced hope, and we pursue hope in God, good deeds, and generosity. Now, I think Jesus best illustrates this teaching that Paul is giving to Timothy. So I want us to look at a parable that Jesus taught. It can be found in Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, Jesus taught a parable that I think perfectly illustrates what it is Paul is teaching, and it may even have been on Paul's mind as he was writing this to Timothy. So Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. Jesus is speaking. He's talking to his followers, and here's what he says. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of, and here's our word for the day. What is it? Greed. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Now, the reason Jesus tells you in this passage to watch out for greed is because Jesus knows how hard greed is to see in the mirror. He understands that you're not going to recognize when you're greedy most of the time. Most of us never see it. There's an erosion that takes place in our life that leads us to greed. And we don't often see the effects of it. So Jesus says, watch out for it. And and notice how 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 he concludes this verse. He says, true life doesn't equal the sum total of all of your stuff. If you add up all the possessions that you have, that doesn't equal your value. See, we measure the value of a person based on the abundance of their possessions. But Jesus says that's not how God does it. God doesn't look at your stock portfolio to decide how much you're worth. He doesn't doesn't look at your bank balance to determine that. Your worth is not based on what you possess. It's something else. And then he launches into the parable, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground, that's important, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. What produced the good crop? The ground produced the good crop. All right? The ground produced a good crop. He thought, this is the man, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store. What's that next word? My crops. See, this was a rich man. Do you know how I know he was rich? Because he had extra. He had more than he needed. That's one of the great definitions of rich. If you have more than you need, you're rich. If you've got clothes in your closet that you don't wear, you're rich. If you've got food in your refrigerator that'll go bad before you eat it, you're rich. Because extra, rich people have extra. And you think, but I don't have a lot of extra. Mm -mm, That's not the definition of rich. Rich is just extra. This man had extra. So so what happens? He he makes a mistake. Notice notice the mistake. The first mistake that Paul warned us about in, in in the Timothy passage. He's arrogant. Mistake number one, he's arrogance. He thought that he had something to do with the blessing, didn't he? Who produced the crop? the ground did who caused the rain to fall god did right so the ground produced the crop and yet this man thought it was his crop he said what am i going to do with my crop he made a mistake mistake number one was arrogance he believed the extra was a result of his effort therefore it belonged to him we all make this same mistake all the time don't we we think i worked hard i worked hard for that i deserve that can I ask you, who, who decided to give you the skill set you have so that you could er, work and earn that money? You think, well, I, I went to school. I, I've been trained to do that. Well, who, who formed you in such a way that you could actually do the job that you're doing? Well, why were you born with two arms that worked and two legs that worked and a mind that functioned normally? Who decided that you would be born and have access to sight and hearing and all the senses that you may take for granted every who who determined that who decided that you'd be born in the that's who said god over there good job that's exactly right at least one person's listening today who who decided that here's a question and some of you in this room this doesn't apply to you because you understand this and many of us don't about appreciate this who determined that you would be born in a country where you'd have the freedom to access education and opportunity and make a living for yourself when most of the world is born in places where they never have that opportunity not because they're not smart enough not because god doesn't love them enough but simply because they're born in a place where they don't have the opportunities that you have who decided that 
You see, we fall into this trap all the time, don't we? We think that we did something to deserve the wealth that we have. So listen, look what happens next in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. So here's, this is because this is the way rich people think. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. See, he comes up with a, with a plan for storing all of his extra. And we look at this, and by the wisdom of our world and culture today, we say, this guy's a role model. Because this is what you ought to be doing. You ought to be planning for the future. You ought to be putting money away in case, you know, you, you ought to be saying, now, I'm not saying you shouldn't save. I think the Bible's got a lot to say about that. But do you understand the difference in the attitude of this man and what I believe it is to be healthy and responsible when it comes to financial planning and security? This guy is thinking all of this extra that he's got is about him. He's going to store it up. He's planning ahead. The problem is he's not planning far enough ahead because he makes mistake number two, misplaced hope. He thought that the extra would provide him security. But look what happens in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, this guy built the bigger barns to store all his extra stuff that he was going to have laid up for him for a long time. And he died that night. And Jesus in the parable says that God looks at him and calls him a fool. Now that is very strong language. Very strong language. And why did he say, why did God say he was a fool? Because see, this man thought one thing and it didn't fit in at all with what God says is true about us. That our life is a vapor. That we're not guaranteed the next day. We're not guaranteed the next breath. This isn't someone our culture would call a fool. We would actually try to emulate this guy. Yet, he ended up with absolutely nothing. And he wasn't a fool for being rich, but for not knowing why he was rich. You see, the Bible never says being rich is a sin. It never says having wealth is a sin. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible were some of the richest men that ever lived. King David, King Solomon, Abraham, all rich people. Being rich does, didn't make him a fool, but not knowing why he was rich did. He wasn't a fool for having extra, but for thinking the extra was for him. So his third mistake that he made, if he, if he had been able to read what Paul wrote to Timothy, his third mistake was this. He failed to place his hope in God, to do good and to live generously. And here's the reality. Other people are going to end up with all your stuff. They will. Other people are going to end up with all your stuff. What is it that's especially valuable to you? Is it your stock portfolio? Is it a collection? Is it some treasure that you have? Do you know somebody else will end up with that stuff? And there's a good chance it'll be sold in a garage sale. Somebody else is going to end up with all your stuff. And they're going to do it because of one of two things. They're going to do it because you're generous, or they're going to do it because you're dead. But somebody's going to end up with all your stuff. And you get to decide how. Do they get it because you're generous, or do they get it just because you're dead? Look at what verse 21 says. Jesus, speaking back to his followers who are listening to this parable, he says, This is how it will be 
with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Notice the comparison he's making there. He's pitting storing up things for yourself against being generous, not to other people. Generous toward God. How are you generous toward God? I think it's pretty simple. I think Jesus told us how to be generous toward God. I think, I think being generous toward God is the same way, we do that the same way we love God. He said, Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. John later said, you can't love God without loving your neighbor. And I will just extend the generosity clause to that same truth. You can't be generous to God without being generous to God's people. God defines greed as anyone who only stores up treasures for themselves. So here's the moral of this story, I think, that, that Jesus is teaching. The, the, the moral is not that you're going to die, because everybody's going to die. And the, the moral is not that other people are going to end up with all your stuff, because none of us are going to take all of our stuff with them. This, the moral of this story is this. This story demonstrates complete and total loss. The landowner lost everything in his life he had nothing to show for it in the next life he had no treasures stored up in heaven andy stanley says this if we simply store up for ourselves and are not rich toward god then everything we possess will be a total loss look at look at first timothy six nineteen again in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of a life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. It doesn't come because of our possessions or because of how much we have. It comes based on how generous we are. And it's not just about being a good person. It's preventative medicine for the negative impact of the wealth that we're exposed to on a daily basis. John Wesley said this, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. What if, what if we all viewed our money and our possessions as, as contagions that could, could possibly infect our heart? What if we viewed our money or maybe the surplus of it as dangerous to our souls? How would that change the way we lived? Here's an important question for you to answer. Why have I been given so much? On the back of your bulletin today, I ask you to answer that question. And you're not going to answer it, I know, in our short time today. But, but maybe, maybe you would just take some time this week and say, why have I been given so much? And you might be sitting there thinking, but I haven't been given so much. I'll refer you to last week's message where the Bible actually said that you are rich because he who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might be rich. Why have you been given so much? Why have you been given the opportunities that you've been given? Why have you been given the time that you've been given? Why have you been given the resources? Why were you permitted to have the education? Why were you born where you were born? Why have you been given so much and what are you doing with it are you being generous towards god or are you like this rich man in this parable 
trying to hoard it all and store it away for a day that may never come for you. See, I think generosity is the antidote to greed. If, if, you, if, you want to, if you want to try to reverse the effects of greed, just determine a percentage of your income to give away so that you can fight the greed that is, claim, that is tr- seeking to claim your heart. And you think, well, how, how do you do that? See, the, most people in America live on about 95 to 105% of their income. You think, how do you live on 105% of your income? Some of you could teach a class on it. You spend more than you make. But let me, let me ask you, how much is enough? What's enough? Because isn't enough always a moving target for you? Isn't what you make today, 25 years ago, didn't you think that would be enough? And yet it's not enough? Because see, the problem isn't how much money you make, the problem is a heart problem. Because if you continue to think that your lifestyle, that your increase in wealth goes to support an increase in your lifestyle, you are greedy. Because your increase isn't about you. God may be giving you an increase so that you can be more generous and bless other people. So here's the challenge for you. And it's for some of you, this, is, this may be just basic home economics, finances 101. Determine right now. What percentage of your income do you live off of? So add up all the money that you make in a month and then take all the money you spend in a month, month and determine what percentage of my income am I spending every month. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to decide. I am going to be generous with a percentage of my income. And you decide what that percentage is, not me. I mean, the Bible teaches Christians, those of you who, 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 who cite the Bible as your authority in life, the, the Bible dictates to us that we give 10%. But, but for some of you who maybe aren't believers or maybe you're a new Christian and you think that's just insurmountable, look, what percentage is agreeable? Because I think God will honor whatever percentage you decide. Maybe you decide 1%. Maybe for you it's a half a percent. But just determine what percentage of your income are you going to use to be generous? You think, well, here's the plea I was waiting for. I knew last week it was going to come, and here it is this week. He's asking for Give it away to some Christian cause. I, th- I happen to think this is a great Christian cause at Southside Baptist Church. But if you're suspicious of churches, you've been burned by churches, you, you think all this is is about money, give it somewhere else. But watch what will happen when you just take a little bit of the antidote to the greed that may be infecting your heart that you don't even know you have. We have to change our attitude. We have to believe what the Bible says is true. We are not poor. We are rich. And we've not been made rich to keep it and hoard it for ourselves to be greedy. We've been made rich so that we might be generous. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are a generous God. That you give to us blessings that far exceed what we deserve. Father, we see that most demonstrated through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. That while we were undeserving, you sent Jesus to us, who gave us everything so that we might be rich. And yet, Father, those of us who are here today, who are Christians, we we live in a time where Christians have never had more money, and yet, in many cases, have never been 
more selfish. Father, help us to hear the words of Jesus in this parable and not to think that it's somebody else who has more than we have. Help us to think that that may be me. And Lord, I pray that you will inspire us, not not because of guilt or, or, or any sense of shame, but that you'll inspire us by your example of Jesus Christ, that we might seek ways to be generous people. And that, Father, as we are generous, that your generosity would shine through all of our actions. Lord, even today as we give this offering, we, we do it in, as an act of worship. Lord, we do it in such a way that we seek to bring glory to you. And we pray, Father, that as a church, we'd be a generous church. May we recognize that the money that is collected here isn't just for the good of our collective organization, but it's, we're to be a, a, a channel through which your resources flow to a world that's so desperate to know your generosity. So Lord, take the little that we give and make a change in this world. And Father, make a change in our hearts that we who have been given so much would understand that we've been given so much that we might be generous. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.